Hello, my dearest peace lovers and peacemakers. I'm Sarah Jamshidi. Welcome to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show we feature peaceful bridge makers. We go, we do research, and we we find the peace bridge makers, the best in the world, and we bring into our show to feature them and to have a conversation. It's very easy to find us on many social media Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, many, many, and also on many podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, name it. So Peace Mindedly Podcast, and we are in front of your eyes. Today is the third Tuesday of March, and it's noon Pacific Standard Time. Very welcome to Peace Mindedly. For today, we are talking with Ron Burke, an award-winning independent filmmaker, concentrating on documentaries exploring issues of displacement, education, science research, and the well-being of children. I'm bringing Ron into our studio. Hello, Ron. How are you? Hello. Nice seeing you. Excellent. It's absolutely marvelous to see you. His latest film, Terror and Hope, The Science of Resilience, won Best Documentary Short Jury Award at the Raw Science Film Festival. One of the main scientists in this 38-minute documentary is Rana Dajani. So I am bringing Dr. Rajani into our screen. Hello, Rana. Hello, everyone. Thank you. Hello, hello. Yes, absolutely. Dr. Dajani is the world expert in genetics and founder of local organization called We Love Reading, which now operates in more than 56 countries around the world. We Love Reading won United Nations High Commissioner for Refugee, short for UNHCR Nonsense, Middle East and North Africa Award just recently. It's been just recently. Terror and Hope, the Science of Resilience is a story about children and war. It's about stress so severe and prolonged that it can become very toxic. It's about scientists and humanitarians working together to provide hope in what can seem like a very very hopeless situation. And it's a story of courageous Syrian families raising their children in the face of unimaginable violence and oppression. With your permission, my beautiful guests, I would love to play the trailer and then we go to the uh, Q&A. We have positive stress, we have tolerable stress, but we also have uh, what we call uh, toxic stress, and this is what is most concerning for us. Trauma has an effect, not just on the physiology of the living human being in their cells and their uh, organs and organ systems, but it also has an effect on their DNA. Your actual genetic makeup can change. You can inherit it to your next generation and even the, the generation after that. In situations of war where people have experienced that brutality of war forced displacement, intervening on the adults is a good thing, but intervening on children will leverage more change. So the earlier you start, the better. Your your biggest strength as a human is your ability to have compassion. If we don't have compassion for ourselves and for others, you know, we're lost. 
The last quote in the movie is their past defined by terror, their, their future driven by hope. Ron, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Give me a, a tough question real, real quick. <laughs> um, well, I had to make a, a film to explain it. But, you know, I think a lot of people certainly have had to experience far more terror than I ever have had in my life. I've been very privileged. Uh, but those that have, you, it's amazing the amount of hope that you can see. And I think what Rana and her team were doing, uh, we're trying to find, find new pathways for that hope, trying to measure it, understand the effects of the trauma. But the reason for that research was to look for uh, areas of hope, look for uh, um, things that people can do and children especially can do and humanitarians working with them to uh, increase their prospects in life. And I think one thing when you see the film, you see how much hope is important in healing. Uh, without hope, I don't think people can heal. So I think uh, that's critical. So short yes. answer. <laughs> Yes, yes. I gave you a tough question, but here's my take. I've gone through revolution. I experienced war. I've seen many, many refugees in my childhood, teenager, adult life. So I, I know what you are talking about. In this movie, you, Rana, I would like to know what is your take on, uh, on the same question? So why we do not want to define these refugees by their past, but introduce hope to their lives? That's a very uh, fundamental question. Uh, we need to uh, allow people, help people, support people, empower people to uh, regain their dignity, to regain their sense of purpose and agency, and that they have a say and some kind of power over their future destiny. It's a mindset, right? It may not be practical things. It's a mindset that if we have it, then we can forge a way forward. And I think one of the challenges that we face in refugee and vulnerable communities around the world is that the way the system is set up in a way is to pro pro propagate their victimhood rather than building their internal resilience uh, to take control of their destiny and their future, develop their own programming, identify their own challenges, uh, and then and solve them. And in that way, these solutions will be sustainable uh, because people have ownership. And inherently, it will build their resilience, give them hope uh, moving forward. Trauma and wars have been happening for a throughout evolution in human history. So let's try to ask the positive question. How mm -hmm. can this experience that they go through help build something more positive? And I think our research was able to discover more information about that to help us do better in the future. Yes. Yes, yes, we see it throughout the movie. So, Ron, how did you come up with this storyline? What what happened? It um, it began with uh, conversations with some people at Mercy Corps. Uh, Mercy Corps is an NG, in one of the larger NGOs and working in this space, and they are very uh, established in Jordan. And that's where I learned about it. My previous film was about a group of Somali middle school girls uh, who were having trouble uh, after they arrived in the United States. They were refugees from some Somalia. They had grown up in camps in Kenya, and they were having a lot of issues. And it was about how they learned to start working together and hopefully make them more successful in their lives. 
uh, in their new situation living in the United States. Um, and from that, I met people uh, from Mercy Corps and uh, learned about what was happening with the work that Rana and Catherine, Catherine Panter Brick at Yale were doing uh, in Jordan with Syrian refugees. And so it was a natural extension of my last project, which involved Somali refugees. Yes, natural extension. And then in this extension, you decided that not only you are going to talk about terror and horror and what's going on until these refugees arrive in the refugee camp, but, but also leave them in the questioner, leave them when they are leaving, leave them with, uh, by something meaningful. Rana, what was the, um, if you could walk, walk us through, my explanation was just very choppy. Walk us through that, uh, why you decided to include some, some more positive anecdote to, to the questions you were asking from refugees. So we wanted to understand uh, if the program that was delivered to these adolescent refugee children really worked and how can it be developed better to uh, address and achieve the goals that it had put for itself. So in order to do that, we had to do good science, right? And good science means partnerships. We, we wanted to, it's not a, a Western scientific team coming into another community culture to do research. It was a true partnership with scientists from the community being studied. Being myself half Syrian, half Palestinian, living in Jordan all my life, uh, I was that local academic who understood the culture through and through to help to be part of the team to design the research to make sure that we are asking the right questions and uh, including the community who we are studying to be part of the study. So, so that's one. Two, it's about we're doing good science. It's also about not just doing self-reporting because that doesn't always necessarily reflect what's happening. What really reflects what's happening is when you go in and study the physiology. You know, your body doesn't lie. Look at the biomarkers. And that's what, where my field of expertise comes. So we were looking at cortisol as a hormone. But in doing that, we actually explained the science to the children. So these children, we raised their scientific awareness. They got to know what science is about. How do you do a randomized control trial? How do you measure cortisol? And then we shared the results with them. So they saw it with their own eyes, how important science is in forging the path forward. But more importantly, it showed them that they could have a say in understanding this program that was being implemented on them to figure out whether it works or it didn't. And that's where, to answer your question, we realized that the questionnaires were all about trauma and stress and anxiety. And my team, who is Syrian and Jordanian, said, could we develop a survey that was more positive? And that's when we talked with uh, Catherine from Yale, and we developed a survey that measures resilience in Arabic for this age group which was published later and other people are using now. And we're very proud that it was a team effort. And that's how you do good science. Yes. And eventually you decided to also include mothers. Why Why also to, yeah, I want, I want you to explain. So whoever would like to go, Ron, let us start with you and then we go to Rana. Um, well, there were actually two studies. The first study was with adolescents. And after that, they wanted to go further and study the multi-generational effect of trauma on mothers. And Rana can explain this far better than I can. It's her study. Uh, she's the one that do, is doing it. So I think I'll pass it over to her. But okay. maybe you can explain, Rana, the difference between the two studies. 
Yes, you know, in any good science, you answer a question, but 10 more questions come up. That means you're on the right track. And that's what happened with us. We, we as, you know, reflecting on the results, reflecting on uh, our observations from this community, we know that uh, in the literature, it has been proven in, uh, in certain um, uh, backgrounds that uh, impacts of trauma can change the DNA expression profile, right? What genes are turned on and what genes are turned off. Not just that, we also know from uh, animal models that that epigenetics, which we call epigenetics, that epigenetic signature from the environment can be transferred from generation to generation. So to us, the question was, can we ask that same question in humans? And can we ask, does the trauma of war uh, and displacement have an epigenetic signature on the mothers who were exposed? And were they able, that would, was it transferred to their daughters and granddaughters. And so because of our intricate knowledge of the culture and the history of, uh, of what happened in Syria in 1980, there was a massacre in one of the towns there. We were able to identify three generations of females uh, among uh, this population. And we were able to take samples from the grandmothers, the daughters, and the granddaughters in different cohorts to compare them with each other in order to answer that question, uh, which when which we were able now to get a National Science Foundation grant uh, to analyze uh, the DNA that we had gathered so that we could answer the question, learn more, and I am guarantee we're going to come <laughs> going forward. Awesome. That's that's absolutely marvelous. And then along in this study, uh, you you were, I mean, at least my imp impression was that offering this help really requires having compassion. Here, I would like us to take a listen to what Jane MacPhail, director of Youth Futures at Mercy Corps in Jordan, has to say. Your, your biggest strength as a human is your ability to have compassion. If we don't have that, if we don't have compassion for ourselves and for others, you know, we're lost. I would like to know what is your take on what Jane MacPhail is talking about? So for me, yes. for me uh, how do you foster that compassion in everybody? And it starts young. It starts with children. And it starts with reading, reading aloud to children. Uh, and that's why we've developed a program called We Love Reading that you mentioned earlier, where we train youth and adults to read aloud to children so that we create a community and an environment and an ecosystem where children are hearing the stories of others. Uh, and that's how they, they are walking the walk and are in the shoes of others. And this develops their empathy, their compassion. And they grow up as adults when they meet somebody who looks different from them, who speaks differently. They, they respect that. And they understand where it's coming from. And they learn to communicate. And communication starts with listening, which goes back to reading aloud to be able to have the patience to listen. Uh, so all these functions uh, are developing in the brain of the child, their cognitive abilities, their critical thinking skills, their feelings of compassion and identity are all developing with this reading aloud experience. It starts with one person in the neighborhood and eventually become every mother and father or caregiver reading aloud to their children. Mm -hmm. Ron, what do, why do we need compassion in the times of trauma and difficult, uh, difficult situations? Well, I think Jane in that clip said it more than better than I, anybody could is if we don't have compassion, we're lost. 
I think that is a vital human trait that that's the only way to gain peace. It's the only way to gain happiness. It's the only way to gain satisfaction in our lives that we're doing uh, the right thing. I, I can't imagine life without compassion. And I think one thing I'd like to mention is the one surprise for me was you think of like the NGOs, like Mercy Corps, Save the Children, so many NGOs that are out there trying to help refugees and help people that are suffering from war and famine. Well, of course, they're compassionate. We understand that. But what I didn't understand was the like the scientists, the researchers that I met during this project are all extremely compassionate people. And that's why they are doing this research that they are doing. They're not just scientists like uh, a lot of people think of in white coats in a laboratory with microscopes. They're out there in the real world doing their best to try to help people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how progress is made is mm -hmm. through compassion, probably as much as anything else. You can have, <clears throat> excuse me, you can have intellectual ability, but the compassion uh, makes it useful, mm -hmm. uh, makes a difference in the world. Yes. So let's say I come to you and say, Ron, give me one or two advice about what to do, what to do or what to say to my 10 year old to teach her compassion. Of course, you're going to say, watch the movie. And we are explaining yeah. in the movie that was, yeah. was the compassion and all of those. But if you wanted to give me an advice, what that advice would be. I'm, I'm just, I mean, may, I'm, I'm bringing Rana to the screen. So here is one of the issues that I'm dealing with and I'm confessing here is that back in Iran, I felt closer. It was, I mean, although war, the country was going through war and loss of hardship, but I was feeling compassion. I was feeling people are close. It's just, I was part of a larger community. Here in the U.S., everyone is just, everything is just um, in distance. And then I'm thinking, okay, so how can I really teach my daughter of the warmth and compassion I, I felt back in my home country? And I would like to know your answer. What is your advice to me? Well, I would say, um, and Rana mentioned this a little bit ago, as far as listening, really, really listen. Uh, not just superficially, but really listen and try to put your heart into the place that another person's heart is. And unfortunately, in the U.S., we are a culture of me and I and individualism. The U.S., we really value individualism. And I think that is a real weakness. It's almost our Achilles heel in this country. And I think there are other cultures that are far more advanced as far as understanding the importance of community and the importance of listening to one another and really understanding what other people are feeling. And that was really, I think, my main motivation as a filmmaker is to try to tell stories. And stories are one of the best, if not the best way to really uh, allow people to empathize and actually feel what other people are feeling and see the world through somebody else's eyes. So I guess I think listening more than anything else, learn to really listen. Mm -hmm. Very good. So Rana, actually, as a matter of fact, my, my daughter's name is Rana. <laughs> <laughs> and hers is, 
Her is two N, yours is one N. <laughs> yes, but Rana comes to you and says, Rana, what is your, uh, your um, advice to me to feel more compassion? What would you say? Well, building on what Ron said, I mean, what we, I think that we, what we lack, uh, not just in the West I, and all over the world, unfortunately, this is happening more and more, especially with technology, is we're losing that human-human interaction. That's so, so important because that's how we evolved as a species. We, we are social creatures and we need to keep together. That's why even this, uh, the term social distancing, it's physical distancing because actually I think we're getting socially more together because we're staying at home and, and we're talking and exchanging and engaging with our family members. And why is that? Because when our, um, our, uh, the way we, we build that human-human interaction, it helps us build resilience. And that's what we learned from the research, by the way, that, that we did, is that when, uh, when we developed that resilience tool and asked the adolescents how did uh, their resilience improve, we found out that the program that was implemented actually did not improve their resilience. And the reason was that the program was developed from a Western perspective that was focused on the individual. When these kids were built their resilience through their family and their community. And as a result of that now, the program is being changed to include family and community because that's how you build resilience in those communities and I think in humanity in general. And, and why this is so, uh, recently Judith Butler talked about how do we have a livable life in an inhabitable, in an inhabitable world? that they come together. You can't have one without the other. So focusing on the individual uh, may seem to have a short-term benefit, but on the long-term, if you don't take the whole world into consideration, uh, you won't uh, be able to save it. And that's a very famous uh, saying from Prophet Muhammad, that if one little part of your body is uh, sick, the whole body will take care of it. Same thing with the world. One, uh, to have a livable life, you have to have an inhabitable world where we all work together to make it better. And COVID-19, has showed this more than ever, that every human counts and is important. And, uh, and if one person is not safe, then the whole world is not safe. Absolutely. There is this beautiful saying, um, Saadi is the Persian poet said, I, I said it once actually at the very beginning of uh, our season, we were studying the show. And I'm, I, if I may, I would like to say it in Farsi and then translate it in, in English. It says, um, as Prophet Muhammad said, Bani Adam Azay Yiktigarand, Kedar Ofarinish Zayekoharand, Chozvi Bedar Dovarad Ruzegor, Degar Oz Hora Namonad Haror. The humans are parts of one body, as exactly Rana said. If one part of the body is um, aching or sick, the rest of the body is aching. And, and it's exactly, you put it so beautifully, Rana. I just want to play one more, to play around with another word, and then we go to mid-program. I want to see what resilience means to you, resilience. Ron, would you, would you like to go first? Um, <laughs> resilience, I think it is, uh, uh, Rana mentioned this and it's spoken to in the film too, is uh, it is, I, th I think it can't be separated from hope. And it's also about knowing that there is a better life ahead, that, th that things can be improved. Because if you don't have hope, uh, why even try? Uh, so I think, more than anything else, that, that hope, to me, allows me to be resilient. If I have a setback, if something isn't going the way I want it to go, and as a filmmaker, that happens all the time, 
but that hope keeps you looking for solutions. And that's, uh, I, to me, that's what my resilience is about, is trying to come up with, okay, something didn't work. Uh, I've got a tragedy in my life, and I've had a few. Um, what do I do about it? Um, mm-hmm. And that's how you become resilient. Excellent. Rana? Actually, resilience to me is about uh, having a, a huge imagination uh, to imagine a better place and a better world and to have the confidence and the courage that if I can imagine it, then it can become a reality. And, uh, and, and so having that agency, that feeling that I can and, and, and transferring that, translating it to actual action. And I think also I draw from my culture and my religion, Islam, that it's about doing small things. That's what matters, just to try. Mm-hmm. Right. If you try, that's all that you want. You have to do. The results are not in your hands, but you can have a decision at one point to make a decision to try. And that's how things happen. They start small and then they end up huge. It's like the butterfly effect. Right. The chaos theory. When a butterfly flutters its wings, it moves the wind one centimeter. But that's enough to create change in time and space, a hurricane somewhere else. Excellent. Excellent. Said very beautifully. Please stay put with me. You are watching and listening to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. Honestly, I am, I am proud of the work that we are doing. The statistics and traffic and numbers shows that we are doing something right, putting together a show that we feel connected and feel compassion and kindness towards one another. We live stream our show on many social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. You can find us very easily and also on many podcast channels. So peacemindedly.com. If you miss any episode here on Facebook, just go to goldtune.com, G-O-L-T-U-N-E, Goldtune. We started many years ago, 2013, I believe, and we are posting uh, stories of resilience, hope, and we are focusing on peace. I mean, using peace journalism to tell our stories, a story of uh, people who are making differences uh, within their communities. And when you are on goldtune.com, please submit to our newsletter every Thursday. We, we send one email to let you know what's going on and what's happening in our world. And our world is the word of peace, kindness, and compassion. Next Tuesday, we are talking to Olga Meking, author of Nixon, Embracing the Dutch art of doing nothing. I am super excited for the show because I believe in the United States we work just too hard and sometimes we just need to not take everything too seriously and I believe Mekin is going to tell us how. So in the cover of her book she explains Nixon is not a form of meditation nor is a state of laziness or boredom. Rather Nix is to make a conscious choice to sit back and let go and do nothing. Back in Tehran, I had this fun uh, experience with my friends that we would sit in a coffee shop looking at the street and just making up a story about people just passing by. And we were absolutely doing nothing but telling the stories. And it was, it was relaxing, very relaxing. Final Tuesday of March, we are talking to Suzanne Kobel, foreign correspondent for German periodical Der Spiegel an author of Behind the Kingdom's Will, Inside the New Saudi Arabia under Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. 
In this episode, we will discover how one world leader in the most important Muslim nation is trying to take his country to modernity, perhaps, perhaps and oftentimes so ruthlessly. Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, known as MBS, is determined to accomplish his vision for the country, even though he kills and murders his opponents so brutally. Back to this hour, we are talking to Ron Burke, a filmmaker of Terror and Hope, The Science of Resilience. Burke's previous film, Lessons of Basketball, also showcased refugee experiences in the United States. He has, I'm bringing Ron into our screen, he has won many awards and recognitions, including New York Festival International Television and Film Award, Multiple Sign Gold, Golden Eagle Awards, and Best Documentary Award at the 2020 Scion Film Festival for the film that we are discussing today. Rana Dajani is the major scientist featured in the film. Dajani is the world expert in genetic science and founder of We Love Reading and author of, this is my favorite one, Five Scarves, Doing the Impossible. If we can reverse self-fate, why can't we redefine success? I love I love the title. I'm, I'm going to get the book and read it, Rana, for sure. The book is an explanation of intersection between gender, race, religion, and science. In this book, Dajani explains how she keeps switching metaphorically among her five scarves uh, or five roles as a mother, teacher, scientist, social entrepreneur, and a feminist. Okay, so Rana, why do you think that we should read for pleasure? Oh, wow, that's, an, that's a very important question. Because when you read for pleasure, whether you're young or you're old, that's how you expand your imagination. You learn about others and foster empathy and compassion. You have the vocabulary to express yourself instead of physically with words. And more importantly, you draw the courage to become the hero that you read about, to become a change maker uh, uh, in your life and the life of your community and your society. And that's what we want. That's why we say, uh, you know, we use reading for pleasure to change mindsets to create change makers. What I'm going to do here is I really loved what Alexandra, the PhD candidate for at the Harvard University, is talking about refugee and their experiences. Let us watch the movie and then I'll ask my next question. I think these refugees are very brave. I don't think anyone really understands that. There is the lens always towards them either as victims or the fear that they may become terrorists but very little to understand how brave and honestly loving they are. Um, and I'm always astounded by that. I'm not sure I would have made it, you know? And I always, I always tell them, you know, the fact that you made it, the fact that you fled through barrel bombs, sniper fire, you know, losing family, losing your house, never knowing what's going to come next, that by definition makes you a survivor. Um, and they are survivors not just for themselves, but for one another, for strangers they meet along the way, for friends that they make, they make in the refugee camp. And they take care of one another, these children do. Um, and I think that makes them superhuman. And I think we need to remember that. Ron, I, this is an honest question that I really want to know the answer. 
Uh, when I was, I mean, in, in this country, in EU, uh, many people were telling me that you survived, you survived. That's biggest accomplishment. You survived. I never understood what they mean. So, what, I mean, in, in this culture, when we say you survived, what do we mean by, by this? What is the definition? Um, well, I'm not sure the people that have told you that what their definition might might be. But to me, but my definition is survival is sort of a baseline. Um, that's not happiness. It's not fulfillment. I think as human beings, we want more than just breathing and being alive and surviving. You know, yes, it's wonderful. Hopefully, you know, un unfortunately, we have violence and wars and famine. And uh, surviving is something that has, you know, we want everybody to do, but there should be far more to life than just that. There should be mm -hmm. happiness and fulfillment. We're on this planet to hopefully make the world a little better place for those that come after us. And to me, just survival alone certainly doesn't meet that definition. But um, we, we call those people survivors heroes. Right. Why? Right. Um, I think what they I think we have to realize what they went through. There's been in this country in the US a lot of discussion at the southern border with what's going on with refugees. And I don't think most people they they look at it and they look at them as as somebody to fear. Either um yes, they could possibly be terrorists, but more importantly they fear that they are attacking our culture. And I think we don't realize that they're just human beings like we are. Uh, they have children. They want their children to have a better life. That's certainly what, as a father, I wanted, uh, was my child to have a better life than I've had. And I think that is universal. And I think that goes far beyond just survival. And when Alexandra talks about them being superhuman, I think we need to look up to them, not look down on them, but look up to them for what they've accomplished. But that yes. to me just gets them to the point where, okay, now we need to do what we can to welcome them and help them to have better lives. Because if their lives are better, it will impact our lives and make our lives better. Absolutely. You know, again, it's sort of uh, the, you know, the old saying that the rising tide raises all boats. Um, and I think that's why it gets back to the idea of compassion that we've been talking about. Absolutely. Um, if I we're wish, compassionate, we're going to benefit from that. Yes, I wish we really, um, as Prophet says, that, you know, you really need to give back. If when you go out, you really need to give back. I'm really hoping that we could ever understand this, especially in more uh, Western countries and especially with this notion of white supremacy that uh, we, we do have more, we do have more in the United States and there are people that do not have as much as we do. So we, uh, we are obliged because somehow we, uh, we were just uh, talking with our, our other guests that we had built our, our wealth on the shoulder of other nations. We are uh, sourcing them. So therefore we have to pay back. But Rana, what is your take when we say uh, survivors are heroes? What does it mean to you? 
Well, I mean, again, these are very deep uh, probing questions, uh, and which is good. It's good to be challenged, and it's good to feel uncomfortable because that's how we we reach out uh, and expand. To me, uh, survivors are uh, that is very relative to the person. For me, it could be because I I, I had to a displacement, for example, as a refugee. But for somebody else living in a, in an inner city in Chicago. That's about surviving and being able to walk home without fear of being, uh, you know, somebody capturing him or, or doing something to them. So survival is relative to the person uh, throughout their life, what they're experiencing. And I think that's part of giving the benefit of the doubt to everybody, not to assume things and not to expect of others what you expect of yourself, but to respect so respect others. And if they have a challenge, respect that uh, and acknowledge it uh, and support it for how that person wants. And this reminds me of a very important book that talks about that, which is Pedagogy of the Pressed by Paolo Ferreri, which says, if you go and help somebody thinking you know better, you are also an oppressor as well. So how do we, we have to keep that front and central when we go out to help others or do anything for others? that they have the right to decide what they want, and we need to respect that. And that's the true liberation and true freedom uh, going forward. And that's my definition of the hero, survival, success, uh, because it could be as simple as, as a little thing that I'm safe and I'm taking care of my kids to something much bigger. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, would you think that with this pandemic, we, we could ever come closer to perhaps understand some of the pains that going on around the world, especially within refugee or within people who don't have as much as we do? What is your take? I, I thought that pandemic really helped us to put ourselves in the shoes of other people and say, hey, this is sometimes sometimes something something happens that is absolutely out of my control and I can do nothing about it. And I just need to be kind and compassionate and do my best to go through it. So I would like to know your your take, Rana. So you are a scientist. Probably we know the answer, but I would like to know your take. Yeah, actually, COVID-19 has shown us how uh, the the world is flat in the sense that we are all so similar. (laughs) These artificial borders and barriers and cultures and different groups has shown that the virus does not know that. We're all a human that can be infected. And so this highlighted the uh, unity amongst us, how similar we are, how we deal with this uh, uh, challenge. And we see that even sometimes um, those who are in the not so privileged, say, third world country, although I don't like to use that world or global south uh, compared to global north or those more developed, that they're all suffering um, from the virus. And but more importantly, we see how the response to it Uh, is sometimes even more advanced in those countries that were presumed to be not so developed. So, for example, you see uh, people in the United States not wanting to wear a mask or or refusing uh, to follow the law uh, or the rule of having six feet distance. But then you go to other refugee contexts where they're following it because they realize it's important more than uh, other places. So these are lessons learned that we can learn from each other. The the knowledge is not just going one way from north to south, that it could go the other way. We can learn from other people's examples and other people's experiences because we're all in this together and we have to support each other together. So that's how I I see it as a, to me, this is nature, right? Biology is unity and diversity. And I think this is what the virus has shown us evermore, that we have the unity 
And then we have the diversity in how we handle and that lessons are learned all over. And everybody counts. So how a person in Nigeria is dealing with the virus is going to help somebody in Malaysia and help somebody in Argentina and help somebody in the United States. We're all in this together and uh, everybody counts. Excellent. So, Ron, what is your take on what we learned from from pandemic? I th- I think I I agree with Rana. I don't know if I'm as optimistic as she is, as I see my fellow citizens, some of them totally disregarding other people around them. Uh, so, I don't think we're learning anywhere near as fast as we should. To me, it's obvious that we are all in this together. It's we're all in the same body here on this planet. Uh, But it's difficult because there are so many issues where people seem to be ignoring that and, again, looking after their own self-interest. So Mm -hmm. maybe I'm not as optimistic as Rana is, and but uh, I'm I'm still making films and hopefully hopefully helping people to be more compassionate. Um, So do do you have any idea about your next film? No, I don't. I've got some. I've got some ideas, but not. They're not concrete enough where I'm to the point of uh, speaking about them at this point. But you can bet it will be on these issues. <laughs> okay, Rana, how about you? What is your next project? Oh, uh, you know, uh, there's so many projects. <laughs> I have a whole list. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, but I think that the most eminent one is I'm writing a second book. Uh, and the second book, uh, the first one was about redefining success. And I, I'm sure uh, that's a whole different uh, conversation. But this second one is about, about uh, pedagogy and education and how can we harness the individuality of every person to contribute to the world in a way that uh, where everybody counts and can make a difference. And this is a book that is directed towards teachers, uh, students, the general public to re Imagine, again, how do we do education? Because we know that the education sector is in a crisis, even before COVID, and even now more with COVID. And we need to build education resilience, back to that word. And what does education resilience mean? It means it's not about how much knowledge the student is getting, because they could get it on the internet. It's about motivating the student to want to learn. Uh, and if, if, a, if a child grows up wanting to learn, they will become lifelong learners. And that's what the world needs, people who are ready to be challenged and to seek knowledge and experience. Because a lot of the problems we face is comes from fear, and fear comes from ignorance. And, and so the, uh, to me, education resilience is the, the second, uh, my second book. Excellent. So if someone wants to help your organization, we love reading, what should they do? Great. So uh, our mantra is changing mindsets through reading to create change makers. So we invite you to, uh, first of all, you have to read, you know, and the first word in the Quran is read, iqra, and not read just to, you know, say the words and the letters, read with comprehension, read with pleasure, read uh, to make a difference. Uh, so first read to yourself. And then we ask you to read to your children every day and consider it as important as feeding them, right? You won't go, you won't go to sleep if your children are not fed and you should not go to sleep if your children uh, have not been read to, to inspire, to spark that love of reading. But then you can reach out to your community because everybody is responsible, right? We love reading.org. And you can either take a training on how to read aloud. It's up there in 10 languages. It's free because of COVID-19. We've set it out for the whole world. And that will train you, help you how to read aloud and start reading aloud sessions in your own neighborhood. And then you can volunteer with us as an organization whenever you want or donate 
for our global giving. And we need your ideas and we need your thoughts. And because we believe in teamwork, we believe everyone counts and everybody's important. So uh, join us and be part of the of the social movement that's moving around the world like a good virus. <laughs> Inshallah, good virus. Rana, Allah. how much do you do you read? Oh, all the time. I am a bookworm. I have a book in my bag and a book in my car and a book in uh, the bedroom. So I read constantly. I, I, there's uh, and, and every time there's a new book that I, I can't wait to uh, to read and, and what to learn. Are from. What are you reading now? Uh, oh, that's a very good question. So I just uh, I was just reading a book uh, called Untamed which kind of challenges how to think about who we are and to trust ourselves and have confidence in ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the, that's the one I'm just reading right now. Excellent. Ron, where should we find a movie? Actually, my website is the best place to look, and I understand that it's posted somewhere, but it's uh, ronburkfilms.com. And on the Terror and Hope uh, page, there is... Um, Several places you can see it. It's available for free on Canopy for anybody that has access to Canopy, which is an educational streaming platform through public libraries, uh, many of them in the United States, I know in the UK, Australia. Um, and also uh, it can be viewed on Vimeo on demand. And there's a link on my website on the Terror and Hope page for that also. So anybody globally can watch it anywhere. Excellent. Please stay put with me. You are watching to Peace Mindedly. This hour, we talk to Ron Burke, filmmaker of Terror and Hope, the Science of Resilience, and Rana Dajani, scientist, writer, mother, teacher, social entrepreneur, and feminist. The five scarves she wears metaphorically. And at the end of every program, it's a signature for our show. We ask our guests to share something meaningful about peace, about kindness, and compassion. I think I'm going to start with Rana first, and then I go to Ron. Go ahead, Rana. I have two points. One is that we cannot have peace without justice. This is very important. And we need to put that front and central. And it starts with stopping the wars to start with uh, and, and trying to stop that and then dealing with the aftermath. The second message is that everybody's unique. You know, nobody has the DNA similar to anyone else, uh, whether in the past or the future. And so because you're unique, you have something to give to the world. So treat yourself, dream big, and, and, you know, and try to do some good, even if it's a small thing. Ultimately, you will make a difference. And if somebody says, you're just a drop in the ocean, tell them, but what is the ocean but millions of drops? You know, I'm an optimist. My husband says, I see a, an ocean in a drop of water. And that's how we want to go forward to make a difference in this world. Ocean in a drop of water. Absolutely amazing. Ron, what would you like to share about peace, kindness, and compassion? Probably a couple things. First, um, there is a quote that is often quoted, um, but it can't be quoted enough. And that is, when the Dalai Lama was asked about his religion to explain his religion, and he's, he's paraphrasing now, he said, basically, my religion is very simple. My religion is my religion is kindness. And that's something I always carry with me uh, no matter where I go, because I think there's nothing more important than kindness. And where's kindness come from? It comes from compassion. And the other thing is, in my work, I really try to tell a story emotionally. I think true understanding comes through emotion, not the intellect. 
you can you can understand you know things through numbers and through your intellect but when you feel it in your heart if you feel it in your tears uh, then you really start to understand what something means absolutely amazingly said terror and hope the science of resilience is the movie that i believe we all should watch i watched it myself i'm gonna watch with my daughter and my husband and we're gonna discuss about the movie because i think it's important to understand other people's lives and and perspective five scarves so if i can find the exact title bear with me it's here in my in my um hold on a second uh, Rana, it's a very long, long... Say it if you want. <laughs> yes, say it, say it, say it. I found it. Yes, say it, say it. Doing the impossible. If we can reverse self-fate, why can't we redefine success? Yoo-hoo! There you go. It's a book that uh, we should read. Thank you so much, uh, my dear guests. Uh, thank you, everyone watching. Take care. And for the Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. Peace. Assalamu alaikum.